But in our family, colonoscopies are a way of life. And what happened was, in one of our daughters in her early teen years was competing in sports and was getting worse and worse and worse. And I turned to Cindy at one meet after she worked so hard, and I said, something's wrong. We need to get her to the doctor. And they took her to the doctor and found out that her iron was low and her hemoglobin counts were down to 2.9. They're supposed to be at 14, which hemoglobin carries the oxygen around your body. So she literally was on the brink of could die any time when she's exerting herself, and we didn't even know that. And they couldn't figure out why, and eventually they did a colonoscopy. And way up within her intestinal tract, they found polyps that were uh, juvenile polyps that were hemorrhaging. And it wasn't revealing itself uh, further down the line. And so nobody had any idea that there were these complications that she was going through. So guess what happens to the rest of the family? All of us start getting colonoscopies. Imagine teenagers every two years having to do that. Everybody in the family. And uh, five of the six people have had them. And over the years, we've had some larger ones. And we've had uh, their precancerous ones. And so even though we despise colonoscopies to the max, and even though I wish with all my heart that I had invested in Go Lightly and the stock market, because I think we could have made a lot of money just off the Nelson family, um, uh, you know, we appreciate the value of what colonoscopies do. And uh, so if you haven't had one, that's my appeal to you. And uh, for those of you under 50 or 40 years of age, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> now, we've been studying the book of Zephaniah the past two Sundays, chapters 1 and chapters 2, and it has not been an easy task. It feels a lot like we've been going through a colonoscopy here. And uh, we've been beaten up right alongside the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. And the message of Zephaniah is that the day of the Lord is coming. And on that day, which previously occurred to the Judeans, it's also going to occur sometime in the future. And God's judgment fell on them. The Babylonians came in and conquered them. And it's going to fall upon the enemies of God in the future as well. And the faithful remnant of God... For them back then, it was a day of joy when they got restored to their land. And when the Lord comes back, the day of the Lord will be a day of joy for his people as well. Now, perhaps the message of the book would seem more pal palatable to us if we would hear its message in our own context. So allow me the liberty today to look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and paraphrase those verses for you. I'm going to ask each time each verse gets put up on the screen, the actual verse from the text. Our AV text will do that, and as they do that, I'm going to read for you my version of this. Verse 1, there's the verse up on the screen. America, woe to your major cities that oppress people where your students struggle to even read and write and do arithmetic, where corruption is the name of the game in town, and what's worse, you are rebellious against God and against your fellow citizens, and your cities are now defiled by human waste, right on the streets, lawlessness, violence, and the absence of the rule of law is in your cities. Verse 2, let's look at verse 2. Your cities won't even listen to anyone. You won't seek any help except for handouts. They won't even attempt to fix their ills. But boy, do you get defensive and irritated when someone tries to correct you or someone tries to point you towards solutions. And by the way, 
God is the last thing on your minds. You're not interested in the least with turning to God to fix your shortcomings. God isn't even consulted. Verse 3, your officials, rulers, presidents, senators, congressmen, mayors, governors are all on the take. Career politicians get insider trading tips so they can make a killing in the stock market, or their families do. They take bribes from foreign countries, numbering in the millions of dollars. Your officials are the largest single group of millionaires in the entire nation in any profession. And they refuse to step down, even when they're caught doing illegal, unethical, or immoral things. And all of this is done at the expense of your citizens. Verse 4, your religious leaders aren't much better. They're in it for themselves, to get rich, to get attention, for personal glory. They live lives of extravagance. They fly all over the world in private jets with money raised from Christian people. And they have makeup artists who work on them for hours to, to prepare them for their broadcasts. And to do all of this, they have to distort the Bible or disregard it altogether. Verse 5, yet God has continued to be with you, America. God has done right by you over and over and over again. Not once has God ever been in the wrong. And God is still very active in your land, each and every day treating people justly. He has been faithful time and time again. And yet the people of your land don't even care. In fact, they care less and they are completely living for themselves, doing despicable things because it brings them pleasure. Verse 6, don't forget, I have done it before and I will do it again. I have wiped out entire nations before along with their fortifications and major cities. I have made these places of idolatry and immorality barren wastelands. I have taken once thriving nations and thriving economies and turned them into impoverished states. I did it before and I will do it again to rebellious people. Verse 7. Oh, America. And those among you who call yourselves Christians, I thought that the blessings that I poured out on you and how justly I dealt with all the rebellious people who threatened you, that you would have learned to fear me and accept my correction. This, then your place of safety, security, and favored nation status would not fall by the wayside, nor would my just punishments be visited upon you. But you wouldn't listen. You are still eager to follow the ways of the world. When was the last time you were eager to gather together for a prayer meeting? Yet you're so eager to post things about yourself and significant others in your lives online. And oh boy, do you enjoy doing that online pornography? and spending countless hours playing video games online as well. Verse 8, therefore. As a result of all of this, God says, here is what I'm going to do. Now back to reality. This makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? 
when we hear it in our own 21st century context instead of the 7th century B.C. context with Judah and the city of Jerusalem. When we think about these things in our context, it starts to make a lot of sense. And for real, verse 8 tells us here, Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the whole world, will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. Now, you need to understand here that there's a depiction of a courtroom that's going on here. And everybody is to wait for the Lord. Wait for me. Wait for me. And I'm going to stand up to testify. In the ancient uh, uh, Israeli courts, they stood to testify. They didn't sit in in a witness box. They stood to testify, stood tall to tell their account. You know, while Cindy and I were traveling in Alaska this summer, we got to see three different uh, Russian Orthodox churches. They're historic sites, and two of them were in the Kenai Peninsula, and one was uh, northeast of Anchorage, Alaska. And we also went to many museums, and they had a lot of information about the influence of the Russians in coming to Alaska and the history of Alaska, and they had depictions of uh, Orthodox, Russian Orthodox churches and, and all kinds of accounts about the influence of the Russian Orthodox Church. But do you realize that they had no pews in their churches? You stood the whole time. We, we stand for three songs, and it just about wipes us out. Okay? They stood the entire time. Now, their facilities were small, but they could put a lot more people in. But they stood to bear witness to their faith in God for the entire service. Wait for me, God says, and I am going to deal with all the wayward nations and all the wayward people of this world. And you know, that's the same message that we get in the New Testament to wait for the Lord, wait for his coming. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 13, we read the following. Jesus answered, watch that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes on various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be, that, you will be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other and hate and. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. You know, the question has been raised numerous times throughout history. How can the day of the Lord, with its, all of its judgment upon humanity, be considered a day of joy? Doesn't that sound a little bit masochistic? Yes, there are people who dismiss that God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. There are those who do not know or have forgotten how many centuries and even how many millennia God has been warning people to not trample upon his grace. And yes, there are plenty of people in the world who've forgotten all of this and who only live in the moment. So from their narrow perspective, that's what they see. How can that be? 
a day of joy. And even for faithful Christians, joy is a hard sell because we live in a broken and fallen world where fear and worry rule the day. And to many right now, the world is a scary place to live with the war that's going on in Ukraine, which is perpetrated by the Soviet Union and backed by their allies, communist China, Iran, and North Korea. And then there are horrific wildfires that just spread across Canada in numbering over a 1,000 that made it hard to even go outside and get a fresh breath of air this summer, even in our remotely populated rural area where we live. And then one glimpse at the incineration that happened in, on Maui and the long road back to that adds to people's worries. And beyond this are all the forms of corruption around us. Lawlessness, illnesses, COVID is making another run at us. Uh, death exists every single day. Family difficulties and financial stresses. And for too many people, joy tends to overlap with happiness. And happiness is tied to our happenings. What is happening in our lives. So they tie joy to that. And, you know, happiness is because of our happenings. The truth be told in the New Testament, joy is not usually associated with happy circumstances. More often than not, it's the exact opposite. It's in spite of our circumstances. In Acts chapter 5, when the apostles were drugged before the Sanhedrin, in verses 40 and 41, it says, they called the apostles in and they had them uh, flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. In Acts chapter 16, what we just studied a few months ago, uh, Paul and Silas were arrested and beaten without cause, thrown into jail. They were unjustly treated as Roman citizens. They had a right to their day in court. And here they are in the middle of the entire jail, the middle of the prison, in the middle of the night, and what they're doing. They're singing after all of that, after their severe beating, all of that. There was no joy in their circumstances, but they had their joy in the Lord. Well, in our text, it goes on in our scripture reading today that, that Carmen read for us. Then I will purify, verses 9 through 13, the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers will scatter. My scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill, but I will leave within you the meek and humble, the remnant of Israel, will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Verse 14. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Now, there's the near fulfillment to this. When Babylon, Babylon uh, conquered, the Babylonians conquered Judah and they conquered Jerusalem. And then the faithful remnant was restored and were able to come through the captivity and come back to the promised land. But there's also a far fulfillment at the end of the age that you can see as you read through all of these verses. But in between we have what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So today I want you to imagine with me that you are a criminal 
in a courtroom and you are proceeding into the courtroom to hear the sentence being read to you, handed down by the judge. There's no doubt about your guilt. You're in, uh, and over your head hangs enormous penalties for your misdeeds that will consume the rest of your life. There's no hope of a lesser sentence. All avenues of appeal have been explored and exhausted, and you've resigned yourself to your fate. So you take your place at the defense table, and the judge asks you to stand for your sentencing. Then, to your utter amazement, the judge says, a full pardon for your crimes has been awarded. The judge's son, my son, will serve your sentence instead. You're free to go, and your record is clear. According to the New Testament, this is our situation as believers in Christ Jesus. And Jesus actually talked about that in one of his parables when he spoke of a high-ranking servant who owed his master a lot of money, and certainly as the result of inappropriate behavior. And one day this king confronts this man, and his debt is beyond multiple lifetimes of earnings, wages. And the only thing that he can do to this man is throw him in jail and sell his family into slavery. So what does this man do? He casts himself down to, before his master's feet, begging for mercy. And the king doesn't give him what he asked for. He gives him more than what he's asked for. Your debt has been forgiven, and you and your family are free to go. That's what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That's what we celebrate in this prophetic text as we look forward to the anticipation of the New Testament, the coming of the Messiah who died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. We sang about that this morning, vibrantly. That's, that's what this is about. Verse 16 and 17 goes on. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Do you know what God's address is? God's address is your heart, if you know Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. God's address right now? is right here, 5161 South County Road P, because where two or three are gathered, yeah, there I am in their midst. Those of you listening online, God's with you right now, wherever you are. When we depart from here and we go home, God's going to be with us. When we go to work tomorrow, God's going to be with us. Did you notice the number of times in that text it keeps repeating that God is with us? This is the forecast of Emmanuel, God who is with us. And then it tells us that God sings over us. Imagine a young mother holding her young child, rejoicing over this child. And what is she doing? She's singing to this child. That's the portrait of us in God. And look at verses 18 through 20. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like to people who were heading off into exile and then they ended up in exile and ended up in captivity and then they are brought back to the promised land? And think about what that sounded to Israelis in 1948 
when they got to come back and be restored to their land as we saw fulfillment of it back then, we see fulfillment of it right now. The New Testament tells us that the day of the Lord for the faithful followers of God will be a day of joy. No more oppression, no more racism, no more classism, no more suffering, no more haves and have-nots, no more evil, no more tears, no more colonoscopies. I just had to throw that in. There will just be joy in the presence of the Lord. You know, it's been said that there are two kinds of people in the world, those who spread joy wherever they go and those who cause joy whenever they go. Did you catch that? Those who live for the Lord spread joy wherever they go. And those who forsake the Lord, well, many are delighted when they go, when they're gone. You know, on the day of the Lord, Zephaniah reminds us that there are only going to be two kinds of people. Those who've forsaken the Lord, and to them, the, the day of the Lord is going to be a terrible day. It will be a day of judgment. And to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and have persevered to the end, it will be a day of joy. Let's pray. God, our Father, uh, again, we have wrestled with this very challenging prophetic book, pre-exilic prophetic book in the Bible. And uh, yet, God, we recognize that it's timely for us where we live today. It's timely for us because you're calling out and gathering the faithful to yourself. And you want your faithful to be a faithful witness in this world, to not be like the world, be in the world but not of the world. And so, God, we recognize these challenges today. And I pray, God, if there's anybody listening online or anybody here in person that has not accepted Christ, that they will do that today, that they will place their faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing that he died for their sins and, and that they can come to faith in him and live for him. And it's a life that's way better than anything that the world has to offer. And, uh, God, we do anticipate your second coming. Maranatha, come quickly. Lord Jesus, our heart's desire. But until then, may we wait patiently and may we be faithful in service to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.